During the season of Lent, the church calls us to renew and strengthen our relationship with the Lord. What better way to enter into Lent than by re-examining our prayer life and learning to go deeper in prayer? Join us today as we discuss prayer as a powerful means of spiritual growth with retreat master and author, Father Bill McCarthy. I'm Father Michael Scanlon, Chancellor of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. talking about prayer and spiritual growth. We have a regular panelist here, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, Professor of Scriptural Theology here at the university. And our very special guest and old friend is Father Bill McCarthy, who's a member of the Missionaries of the Holy Apostle, and is the co-founder and co-director of my father's house retreat center in Moodus, Connecticut. So you've given a lot of parish retreats, conferences, written a whole bunch of books, done a TV program weekly in his name. And uh, several of your books are on prayer, and that's what we want to talk about today. Prayer in our lives and a spiritual growth, especially in the Lenten season. So the basic question, why pray? Is it for us? Is it for God? Why are we, why are we called to pray? Jesus told us, he said, I have not called to be slaves or called to be my friends because I tell you everything I hear from my Father. So I would say the first reason to prayer is to increase that divine intimacy that God has called us, that we can be friends of God, that we are participation in his sonship. And the heart of any relationship, whether you're married or single, is communication. And that communication that we have with God in Christ, in the power of the Spirit, we call prayer. So prayer is really talking and listening to God. And God has a plan for our lives. Not only does he give us a spirit, but it's an ongoing plan to transform us more and more into what is right. In order to fulfill that plan, we have to do the will of God. In order to know what it is, we have to ask him, Lord, what is your will? Would you speak to me today? So the one of the reasons to pray, outside of praising and worshiping him and honoring him because he's our friend, is to uh, ask him, Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I want to know your will. So that communication we call talking and listening to God. And this is, in your writings, you emphasize a personal relationship with Jesus? Right. What do you mean by that? It's that relationship <laughs> where we break through this other realm of consciousness that's where we realize that Jesus is real for us in some way that he really is all that he said he, he, is, he is, that he's our friend, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, that he heals us, that faith in him really does heal our worries and fear. And trusting and hoping in him really does heal depression and failure. And his love really does heal as far as poor self-image is when we realize we are beloved sons and daughters of God, despite our sinfulness, that his forgiveness especially, especially in the sacrament of reconciliation, heals us of all guilt, of all sin, and the giving of his forgiveness heals us of bitterness and anger. That the Eucharist, which he gives us, 
is a healing sacrament, that every time we receive him in some way, we should be healed and we should be more transformed. Every time we receive it, there ought to be some element of healing or transformation, you're saying. And we say that in the mass. Save it the word and I shall be healed. I, before, um, before the uh, communion during the homily, I always mention that. This is a healing mass because every mass is a healing mass. I said, at this mass, you're going to be healed if you do three things. The secret is the offertory. At the offertory, we're open to God everything. Ah. We're totally open to the Spirit. Then just before the Eucharist, I want all of you to bow your head and ask him who lives in your heart to put into your thoughts, which is a main way that he speaks yeah. to us, the area of your life that he wants to heal now. And then when you receive him today with that which he told you, receive him with expected faith, the type of faith that woman had who said, if I touch him, I shall be healed. So you're saying it's just as if we were present like that woman back with Jesus and the streets of Galilee and around. Even more than just as if we are okay. really and truly there. The oh, liturgy is a real participation right. in the life, the death of Christ. Well, well Father, if, if prayer is that effective, I mean, you make it sound like a blueprint for the <laughs> perfect life, a recipe for everything. It solves everything. If, if that's the case, why don't more people pray? Yeah. Now that's a mystery because of our, of our weakness of human nature. One of the effects of original sin is that we, our egos stay in control. And the hardest thing for us to do on a daily basis is to surrender that false self, that ego. Uh -huh. There was a priest who was ordained 60 years and he said, Father, what's your legacy? He said, primarily just two things. One I learned as a little boy is my mother's name. The second I'm still struggling with. The thing I learned is my mother's name, there is an all-loving, merciful God. The thing that I still struggle with is I am not he. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. and, and does prayer help you bridge uh, that gap so that you become more like him? Exactly. That prayer is the transforming, uh, ongoing way uh -huh. that we're on, always saying, not my will, but thine be yeah. done. Lord, what are you saying? What is your will for me this day? Yeah. And when we give him the first place in our hearts, when we come to him first with every decision, when we come to him first with every worry and fear, and really be open and say, Lord, you got to tell me how to handle this worry, this fear, this day, this hour, and really trust that he's inspiring us, not only in our prayer time, but in an ongoing way throughout the way, because he's always gracing us, right. that that we were able to flow in the spirit of obedience to him. Well, you know, Father Bill, you're putting the accent mark, I think, on the right syllable. You're, you're saying that prayer is this privilege that draws us more deeply into intimacy. It displaces our own ego and puts Christ on the throne because he in fact is the Lord. But I think you're also emphasizing the thing that's the key and that is this share in Christ's sonship, you know, that we are friends of God. You know, he says, no longer do I call you servants because the servant doesn't know what the man, I call you friends. And you know, even before Christ came, the notion of friendship was explained by Aristotle as a kind of extension of brotherhood so that what we have by nature with fellow members of the family or siblings, we now share by grace with Christ himself. He is the king of kings, but he's also the best friend. So how can you cultivate friendship except through conversation and prayer and that kind of communication? At the same time, there's another syllable that doesn't need to be accented as much as this, and that is prayer is commanded. You know, when Paul says pray without ceasing, it's in the imperative. It's not an option, you know. And when you look more carefully, philosophically, at what the, the church teaches and what St. Thomas Aquinas explains, 
you know, the, the fact is we owe a debt of justice to God because he is our first cause. He is our final end. We exist because of him. And so we owe him thanks because of all of the gifts. We owe him worship because of his all-surpassing excellence. And so not to pray is an act of injustice. It's an act of ingratitude. Not that we can ever repay the debt to God that he's given to us, but I mean, it, it operates at the natural level because we're creatures and we really owe God an inestimable debt. But then he stoops down to us in our weakness, even though we've been ungrateful and not praying, he raises us up, he fills us, as you point out, with the Holy Spirit so that through the Spirit we can come into a deeper intimacy than we ever could have had as mere creatures, as servants who are worshiping our, our Creator. And I, and I think by putting the accent mark on this, it's not just simply a sense of duty. It's a joy. It's a privilege. But it's also hard. And I'm glad you point that out, that it's something that we need God's help to kind of progress and advance in. Because I think a lot of people just assume, you know, prayer, you know, it, it's easy. And then once you try it, you find out it's not so easy. Well, let's start yeah. from the beginning. Did we get this personal relationship at baptism? Or... We do, and it's further released through our, through our whole life. For that our we whole had, life as we We as Catholic Christians it. and as Bible-believing Christians realize that it's by water, baptism, and the Holy Spirit that baptism immerses us into this mystical body of Christ, this one holy Catholic family, as Scott will say. Mother Teresa, I think, sums it up. She said, it is not possible to engage in the Christian life nor in the active apostolate without becoming a soul of prayer. We must be aware of oneness with Christ as he was aware of oneness with his Father. Our activity is truly Catholic and Christian only insofar as we permit Jesus to work in us and through us with his wisdom, his love, his power. Therefore, love to pray. Oh. Feel during the day the need for prayer, for prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of, of containing right. God's gift yeah. of himself. So if it's enlarging, this is ongoing, we never fully arrive? Never fully arrived. Yeah. Okay. At least not yeah. in this world. <laughs> but, but it is consoling to know that the event begins with baptism, which most of us had nothing to do with, right? It was something we received. We're inserted into a body uh, we can't even spell, right? Uh, that's the datum. It's the objective fact. But I guess it has to be appropriated. Is that your point? You have to grow to into this intimacy. It's given, but you need to grow. And how... How closely does this relate to the ministry, to, you know, ministering to others? Uh, is that the natural outgrowth of this prayer life? Or? See, I think the, the essence of every renewal movement within the church yeah. uh, does it in th three ways, whether you're talking about Christia or Charismatic right. or the House of Prayer movement. Yeah. The first thing is that you introduce people into this personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah a high sacramental life. The second thing is that you work upon family relationships. You make it more sensitive, forgiving, loving. And the third thing is that you convince everybody that they are called into ministry, yeah. that they are called to the lay right. apostolate. And so the first thrust of the Spirit, we're made sons and daughters. Mm. And then flowing from that, that life, that's the life, the life in union with the Father and Jesus, that life received, becomes a life shared as brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, and that life received as sons and daughters and as brothers and sisters, that becomes the life we pass on in some fathering right. or mothering yeah. way. Well, this is, oh, is beautifully borne out, isn't it, in, in the life of the Blessed Virgin, 
I mean, the first mystery uh, is Annunciation, but it's immediately followed by the apostolate, visitation. visitation. She goes out in search of her cousin. Yeah. She shares what she has uh, been given. But it's something that you also have grounded well in baptism because you know, it's not something that we have to conjure up on our own, either initially or continuously. You know, it, it is there objectively because we were reborn in the Spirit. You know, and the analogy that you draw out in terms of the family, we didn't have anything to do with our birth into our natural family. We got that gift of natural human life, and yet we also get this gift through baptism of divine sonship, of divine life. You know, and, it, and, it's, and it's comforting to realize that it's given objectively. But, you know, you're right in emphasizing the fact we've got to experience that subjectively through the power of the Holy Spirit, drawing us into an awareness, a personal awareness of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, let's face it, there are a lot of people who are baptized but not evangelized. So they have the, the objective gift, but it's sort of dormant there. And, and it's precisely what the Holy Spirit awakens, specifically, I think, in prayer. Prayer, and also a sacramental life, you know, the That's life right. in union with the confession and the Eucharist. It's good for us to realize that, too, there's not only a personal Jesus and me relationship, right. it's Jesus and us. That's right. That right. we receive this life in the context of the church because God is one holy Catholic family yeah. that we are part of this one holy Catholic family. Yeah. And we do it in union with our brothers and sisters under the aegis of our Pope, our Bishop, our Priest, right. our brothers and sisters. We do it together. Right. Right. What yeah. do you find are the, uh, the biggest obstacles for people to get there to know they have a personal relationship with Jesus and then to take it and reach out. What, what are the main obstacles that people have that keep them at a distance and they are not aware of this personal relationship? The scripture says, without vision, people perish. And it's somehow the Catholic vision that, that we really understand what Paul says, you know, yeah. this mystery revealed through the church, this Catholic vision, we have to give to people. And uh, the average sermon, I don't feel, has given them uh, that, that, yeah. that awareness. Unless they get involved in some way to open themselves up to the Catholic vision, that they're not going to fully understand it, that the Catholic is not simply a good Catholic because they go to Mass one hour a week. Yeah. The Catholic is good Catholic because they have, first of all, this vision of what it means, the fullness of this vision, which includes a high sacramental life, a life of prayer, life of mortification, life of discipline, life of reaching out to our brothers and sisters. That's the Catholic vision, and they try to live that in an ongoing way every day in union with somebody. Mm -hmm. So that we need some mentors, you know, and thank God for Steubenville that they've given us powerful mentors on that Catholic vision. I don't know of any place in, in this country where the Catholic vision is so clear and so promulgated as from this place here at the Franciscan University. The university it's, the one, it's the one place from which I have drawn more than any other place, even more than the seminary, the Catholic vision. Mm. Uh, you're touching me hard, <laughs> greatly. Well, that's true. You know, one other source of obstacles, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, which is really the parable of the soils, because some is rocky soil, some is shallow, thorns, that sort yeah. of thing, worldly concerns, persecution. I think these are the tangible realities that our Lord points to and says, this is why prayer is difficult. I mean, before you can have 30, 60, or 100-fold, you've really got to deal with worldly concerns and attachments. I mean, this is what Lent is for as well, to focus specifically on right. our concerns, our fears, our, you know, where are we so bound by fear 
that we're attached to the world. And you know, those are the areas I think we have to just open up and say, God, you're going to have to step in and take these over. And that's what we want to deal with when we come back, the practical steps needed to arrive at this sense of presence, personal relationship, and empowerment to reach out to others. Stay with us. Uh, the reason I pray as a Catholic um, is because God wants us to talk to Him uh, in prayer, and um, He wants us to, uh, to communicate with Him, and that's, that's what prayer is, communication with, with God. So sometimes I get distracted when I pray, and it just helps to find a quiet spot, and then whenever I feel myself getting distracted, I just say, Jesus, I trust in you to help bring myself back to Him and remember what I'm doing there in the first place. Um, if I notice that I'm getting distracted more in my holy hour, I remember what someone told me once that you can simply be in the presence of your Lord, gaze upon Him, and know that He's gazing upon you in return. That's one of the things that I tend to meditate on if I'm finding myself being distracted in my holy hour in any way. I came here to Franciscan not only to grow in my academics, but also to grow in my faith and to become really what God wanted me to become. I walk into Mass sometimes and I'm flabbergasted about the crowds that attend even daily Masses. It's just so refreshing to see so many young people on fire with God and excited to be at Mass, excited to celebrate the Eucharist. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. We're talking about prayer and spiritual growth with our very special guest, Father Bill McCarthy. And as we ended our first segment, we're talking about, let's get practical. How do you get there to this personal relationship, this sense of empowerment and reaching out to others? Let's start with prayer. How, how do you approach prayer? You know, what's the beginnings or the start that gets people to be a man or woman of prayer? I would put it in the context. In fact, I would put it in the context that John Paul put it into context in the church in Millennium in Uyente. And he said there are eight pastoral priorities that lead us deeper. The first is holiness. We have to think and love and act like Jesus. Wow. Not be a good person, but brand new wow. creation. And flowing from that is prayer. That's the thing that transforms us more and more. Yeah. And then the centrality of the Eucharist is the transforming sacrament. Yeah. Then the frequency of confession. And to live by the Spirit and by grace and not by the flesh. To meditate upon the Word of God and the new catechism the new evangelization, and the rosary. <laughs> now, all that is wow. part of prayer, that every part of that that I mentioned, that's prayer, is that, that that's this ongoing exchange that we are being transformed from glory into glory into him whom we reflect. Through striving to think like Jesus, so we have to read the scriptures, especially the Beatitudes, especially the Sermon on the Mount, we have to ask the Lord to transform us, that I want to think and love and act like you. And that's what prayer does. It transforms us. So it's not my way of thinking, yeah. but I put on a whole new mindset. I'm given a whole new mind through prayer. That the average American thinks that the great priority is the economics. We say, no, it's holiness. That the real problem in America is that we're no longer a Christian nation, that we're paganizing our children with a pagan school public school system, that we paganize Sunday that we have to get them out of that normal American mindset to realize that there is a Christian mindset, and that's what prayer gives us, that I'll be holy when I'm humble. 
I'll be holy when I'm poor in spirit. I'll be holy when I'm pure. I'll be holy when I'm a peacemaker. I'm holy when I can forgive my enemy. That that vision and that which prayer gives us, that as we pray and meditate, which is part of this prayer, that we begin to realize, well, that's a different way of thinking. I'm putting on the mind of Christ. And from that, I'm going to put on the heart of Christ. I'm going to love my enemies, especially that person that hurt me. I'm going to love that person. And that's hard. Yeah. Why? Because Christ has said, don't you judge. Let the judgment to me. I'll take care of everything. But you forgive. And the Eucharist gives me the power, which is part of the prayer. The greatest prayer, of course, is in and through the sacrifice of the Mass. Wow. And as I start going to daily Mass, which I think as we start to grow in the spiritual life, at least there's a hunger for daily Mass. Yes. And you may not be able to go to daily Mass, but at least you want to. That that's a transforming sacrament. And then I begin to live by the Spirit, the Spirit of the Gospel, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit that permeates this place. When you walk on to the campus here at Steubenville, that's the Spirit. You went to the cafeteria, it's a different Spirit. If there's a Spirit, you walk by the Spirit. And you do it in union with Mary. And still you recognize that even though you have all this, even though you are a priest or a Catholic layman or a professor, you realize that we need that transforming sacrament of grace and the sacrament of confession. We have to admit, well, Lord, I wasn't perfectly holy this day. I shouldn't have lost my temper. I should have been more kind to this person. And you repent of that, and you go to confession frequently. And you do it in union with Mary. She's the icon of all holiness. Yeah. What God did in Mary, he wants to do in us. And that's all part of prayer. Oh, and you, yeah. you phrase that in the beginning of from glory to glory. Does that mean that you experience the glory of God and move on with it? Or how do you usually explain from glory to glory? Well, I think that at a certain level, it's a faith level, because quite honestly, that what I experience most of the time is my weaknesses yeah. and my, my humanness as far as experiences. So if I just trust my own uh, feelings or my experiences, I wouldn't say it. But I do experience at a certain time that there's certain things that happen sure. that are really amazing. Uh, I call them godsidences, and you yeah. experience them. All of a sudden, uh, you're looking for something or you're in a difficulty, and you pray, and all of a sudden, something it's almost as yeah. if God suddenly just drops something right from heaven. You experience yeah. that. And I can point back to many godsidences in my life, so I know that God is leading me. One of which, for example, that way in the beginning at a transforming time of my own priesthood, the Holy Spirit asked me to found a retreat center and call it my father's house. At that point, I didn't know if that really was God. Sure. So about a month later, I was in Chester, Connecticut, talking about this personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And two ladies stopped me. I remember them to this day. This is 26 years ago. Mary Breckville and Ann Francis, they said, Father, we have a personal relationship with Jesus. We know what you're talking about. And God has told us there's going to be a retreat center near here that's going to teach people how to have that. Huh. And God even gave us a name. <coughs> I said, what name did he give you? And they said, my father's house. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now that's, yeah, that's prophetic. Wow. It's really, yeah. And, and wow. by the way, it's also beautifully biblical, too, as you well know. You know, in John 14, in my father's house, there are many, well, some translated mansions, abiding places. But my father's house is also used one other time in John chapter 2. You've made my father's house a house of trade. That's referring to the temple. And so what Jesus is talking about really is a new temple. There in John 14, you know, I, I go to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house, there are many mansions. And that's also the context, as you know, where he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And so the temple is a, a three-part structure. And so prayer and the spiritual life is also, it's purgative, where we break free. Mm. And then it's also illuminative, where suddenly we are enlightened to the will of God. But as you point out, it's unitive, where we have to unite our will to God's will, even in the love that suffers. And you know, to try to do that without prayer, or to try to do that with a prayer that's a mere technique, you know, or just a method, yeah. is I think just an, a, an exercise in vanity. Uh, but this is where I think, in addition to the Eucharist and the Mass and confession and Marian devotions like the Rosary, which are just the foundation, mental prayer, that conversation. You were speaking a minute ago about the difficulties that you feel, your own distractions and weaknesses. That's where I think the real battle is fought. Sometimes won, but not always, you know, where you have distractions, you have weakness. But you're not just simply praying the rosary and meditating on the mysteries. You're just trying your best to talk to God as a child addresses a father he loves and yet he can't see. And, and, and I think that is the real spiritual battle of prayer where you enter into that conversation. You don't just look back on the personal relationship. You renew that personal relationship. And I'm glad for the insights wow. that you offer. Yeah. I, I wonder if I could uh, uh, go back to uh, that initial question about what practically can yeah. we do to get people disposed to this life of prayer. Because it, it seems to me you're describing a, a size 14 shoe, uh, <laughs> which spiritually I, I think most people are not yet ready to fit into, but they ought to. They should have a hunger for this life, this mystical transforming union. But at the moment, they're, they're spiritual slugs. And, and, and I think uh, the thesis uh, needs to be uh, broached that everybody is in a personal relationship with God all the time because he created them. The energy of his existence is somehow uh, infused uh, into their own being. They're accidents that happen to happen and he sustains them at every point uh, along the way. What they need is the awareness of, of this relationship, that, that, that he has somehow erupted uh, in the midst of, of their ordinariness, their quotidian life. Uh, we live in a redeemed actuality, that's the point. Uh, God has somehow hallowed the universe by his presence therein. People need to be made aware of that. They need to be made aware of their high status as potential sons and daughters of God. That makes it more inviting, I think. And how do we do that, you see? Yeah. To me, what the, where it's happened in my life, where I see it happening, is through the renewal movements, going to a prayer meeting, attend a conference at Steubenville, come to the weekly Holy Spirit breakfast at my father's house, where every week they're experiencing. Make a holy hour every, every week. Because in the holy hour, and all these things, what you experience is what I call the, the prophetic flow. There's a new way of thinking, new way, new ideas you're putting on the mind of Christ. That's happening whenever you come into the movements, whenever you come to Steubenville, whenever you come to the Holy Spirit breakfast, whenever you go to Mass, whenever you make a holy hour. That there's a flow of supernatural thoughts that the Spirit is putting into your mind. You begin to see things differently. There's a flow of supernatural love and forgiveness that's coming into your heart. There's a flow of supernatural power is coming into your life. But I think where the life is now being experienced out there on the, on the fighting line is where you don't get people to go to, with people not going to daily math, they're not involved in the curcio or charismatic or any movement, 
where they're not coming to the Holy Spirit breakfast, where they're not attending conferences or listening to tape, they're, they're just not getting it. They, they, yeah. This one hour a week religion, which is out there, you know, and it's hard to uh, cut into that. Um, about a third of the Catholics are going to church, but even among those, very few are really coming deeper. And to get them to come, to, to go to a Bible study, to go to Stumerville, to listen to Scott Hunt's tape, to listen to um, the Holy Spirit breakfast or any of that, they need to get, if they want something more, they're going to get it, but they got to search and they got to get it. It's and, out there. And Lent is a special call for this? Special call. That, uh, that Lent is the time when the church says, now focus. And That's right. Make the you know, commitment. and I think Lent is a time where we're reminded that all of us are pilgrims, that none of us are home yet. You know, and I think back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus speaks about prayer and ask, seek, and knock. And those aren't arbitrary instructions. You know, the pilgrim asks for directions, you know, and then he, uh, he seeks and he finds, and when he gets there, he knocks, and the door is opened, and he enters the temple. And I think that was, we have to do that sort of thing. We have to ask the Lord you know, help me to get beyond the routine. And then you're going to have to seek out the relationships with people in Curcio, in the Charismatic Renewal, in Communion Liberation, in Opus Dei, or in the Tertiaries, the Dominicans, or the Benedictine Oblates, or whatever. I mean, I have encountered so many people who for so many years were just going through the motions. Yeah. And then suddenly, they might have prayed, they might have, you know, fasted, they might have done a novena, or somebody might have just simply prayed for them. And then through a new network of friends, suddenly a whole new experience of that relationship with Christ. And not just the second person of the Trinity, but Abba Father and the Holy Spirit, as you point out. You know, that's the sort of thing that we have to do as pilgrims. In Lent, I think that's a real concentrated effort. Just like, you know, athletes during the season have to really train, but they just can't go to see it afterwards, you know. And in Lent, I think as you, as you ask and as you seek and as you find a knock, you know, look to see what God is doing in the network of your friendships. Who are the people who are closer to God than you are? What are they doing? Where are they going? You know, and join them and take up their invitation when they ask you to come. I think those practical steps end up becoming decisive breakthroughs in people's experiences. Well, I mean, isn't it, isn't it really instructive that the one time in the New Testament where the disciples turn to Jesus and say, look, can you teach us? how to pray. Yeah. He gives them a prayer of petition. That's right. It's not primarily praise or homage or thanksgiving uh, or high adoration. It's petition. We need this. We need that. We're poor. We're broken. Man is a beggar. I mean, that, as Giussani uh, would often say, is the chief protagonist of history, the man with his arms outstretched. I need this. I need that. I'm poor. I mean, if we, we have to induce people, I, I think, into the basic recognition of their own poverty. But it then is based, they'll turn right, to God right. out of desperate desire. I need to be made whole. But it is the relationship, even the prayer, our Father. Right, yeah, a Lord, common Father. You acknowledge yeah, that, that's the pretty relationship amazing. before you start. A child asking, speaking, yeah. and not just my Father, yeah. but our Father. You recognize, yeah. you know, I'm a sibling as well as a son. And, and so there really is that sense of community. And it's significant that Christ prayed all night before the disciples came and asked him to teach. You know, they witnessed this intimacy and then wanted it. 
And I think that, you know, the very question, the very request, teach us to pray, was an answer to Jesus' all-night prayer, because you can't become like him unless you learn how to pray like him. When we return, we want to pick it up. How do we handle what comes in prayer? How do we really listen and discern what God is calling us to do based on our own prayer? So stay with us. One thing that I've started doing this semester is reading the Gospels every morning. Um, Just, I don't know, five or ten minutes every day to just center me for my day and um, really find comfort in the truth that I find there. We take time to rest. We take eight hours of sleep. We know most people. And and this is, prayer is a more of a rest because it's not just a rest of our body but a rest of our soul. And it's the time not only to rest but then also to, like, like the Mass, but to receive even more his love and, and his peace and his strength. I'm amazed at the caliber of students that are around me. These are, these are people that are striving to be saints. When you look around you, you see people who are full and people who are complete and people that are searching to grow in all areas of their life. This isn't something that you can find in most places. It truly has been a challenging academic experience that is preparing me very well for the medical field. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Well, we're here at Franciscan University, surrounded by our students working the equipment, and uh, we're talking about prayer and spiritual growth with our very special guest, Father Bill McCarthy. And uh, what we want to concentrate on now is how do we discern what God's will is? You know, uh, we're saying we want to pray and we want to hear God and have this relationship and follow him, but how do we uh, really know or decide that, yes, that's what God wants, yes, that's what he's calling me to? What I think think Paul uh, in Ephesians, we said, to me, certainly the least of all the saints, this grace has been given to proclaim to all of you the infallible mystery of the love of God. And to enlighten your mind in working out of this mystery to us who form the church. It's for this reason that we need before the Father from whom every family in heaven yeah. upon earth takes his name. And I pray that God the Father will bestow upon each and every one of you gifts and graces corresponding to the richness of his glory. May Christ strengthen your inner self to this faith. May his love become the root and foundation of your whole life. Thus you too will be able to experience, as all of God's children should, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of God's marvelous love for you, and at last may you too be filled up with God himself. So the first thing is that we have to listen to the church. Listen. That's a key. To listen key. To the That's church, the key we have word. To We're listening to church and to go ahead. Right. And what is the church? That the church is made to the image and likeness of God. And who is God? God is a family. Scott and John Paul said in the Godhead, well, the essence of family life, fatherhood, sonship, relationship, and love. And God is one family, and God is one holy family who loves everybody. So therefore, the church must be the one holy Catholic mystical body of Christ. And so we have to be part of that and realize that the Holy Father has given us these thunderbolts from heaven, the encyclicals of John Paul and our present Holy Father. We should get at them in some way, that God is love, that God is hope, that God is love and truth of this Holy Father, and then the ones of 
you know, John Paul, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, etc. That we have to listen to the church. The new catechism gives us the vision that I don't know any other place outside the Bible when you get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in one book. Yeah. The new right. catechism. We should make it the constant reference point of our spirituality, the catechism. It's a great gift to the church. And then within union with that, to realize that we have a part to be sons and daughters of God within the church and who have this personal relationship with Jesus. That the vision, the Catholic vision is given us through the church and our specific part of that. And that we believe that God has a specific plan for each one of us, not only to be Catholic Christian, but to do a specific work. You're called to do a specific thing. You're called to do as I am. But we don't know what that is until we ask God, Lord, what is your will for me in life? What's your will for me as a vocation? What's your will for me to this day? And you can't do the will of God unless and somehow you allow him to talk to you. And that's prayer. You say, and really believe that God's going to reveal, as he wants to reveal, as you ask, you're going to receive. That God swears by an oath that if you ask, and that's what we have to do, that God's going to so enlighten our minds and hearts that we receive his wisdom for that specific thing. That well, you quote Mother Teresa, too, that she says you need some silence and listening before yeah. to hear this. You can't just keep talking and expect it to that's right. happen. You know, so I think we, we rightly stress uh, the primacy of, of silence because, uh, as the Pope tells us in Crossing the Threshold of Hope, when, when the question is put to him, how does the Holy Father pray? And he says, well, I pray as the Spirit moves me to do so, and it's a two-way street, but really, his car is a much bigger one than mine, uh, yeah. and it's mostly a matter of listening. He's the chief protagonist, and to listen, you have to be quiet. I think Mother Teresa uh, made that point about Jesus himself having spent 30 years being quiet. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's the springboard. And this, the whole is delicate, in this is a delicate balance, you know, because on the one yeah. hand, you're right in grounding our discernment in the church so that we're hearing the voice of God, but we're not just hearing it as isolated individuals. It's through the Bible. It's the catechism. It's the sacramental life. It really is the context, and it follows from how Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, if God is our Father, then we are His family. We ought to listen there as, as beloved children, but also as responsible sons and daughters who have obligations to our brothers and sisters. And yet silence is also as important as listening to the Word of God in all of these different forms within the church. And that silence, I think, is sometimes creepy, because at that moment when we're silent, we realize, okay, you know, it was easier when I could hear the homily or when I was reading this book or when I was listening to these tapes. But I think in the silence, God meets us where we are in weakness. And as St. Paul reminds us, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And it's not that, you know, his strength is made even more perfect than our strength. It's precisely in silence where we discover, you know, who we are as beggars, but what we're becoming as adopted sons and daughters. That silence, I think, also gives way to uh, a prayer of the heart where we begin to recognize that I have desires on my heart that weren't there before, that the Holy Spirit has planted like so many seeds. You know, and this, I think, is what keeps discernment from being a slave-master relationship where I'm just listening you know, for the master to tell me some arbitrary thing I've got to do, and until I hear it, I'm going to just be paralyzed. You know, because I've got six kids, and when I talk to them, I want to hear their heart. 
I don't want to just command them like a sergeant. I want to find out what do you want to do? You know, what do you enjoy that's different than your five siblings? And then I say, go for it, you know. And I think God the Father also wants to free us up in the prayer of silence to hear his heart and how it also unites with ours. Because so often discernment can become an excuse for indecision. I'm still discerning. Well, you know, yeah, that's fine, but decide on the basis of what God has put in your heart through the word, through prayer, and then go for it. And if you fall flat and the circumstances are bad, that's also part of God's will that we discern, you know. But I think that life of grace is sort of like the daily grind of life in a family where you're doing things. Some things are duties, but other things are just plain joyful. And, you know, I, I think discernment is a great thing, but as you say, only if it's in the church and also only if there's really silence and prayer where you're listening to God speak. Yeah. And you, by studying Scripture and reading on that and praying, you're ready to hear God speak to you because the same God who has inspired all the Scripture is the one that is going to lead and touch your heart and lead you forth. So the Scripture, the Word of God is so important yeah. there. And under the guidance but, of but the But always, I think, this, this underlying rhythm of silence, which we dare not interrupt because it provides the medium through which that Eucharistic amazement may flow. You don't become aware of God. You're not struck dumb. You're not stupefied with a sense of, of wonder and astonishment if you're constantly talking, chattering. Uh, there is a time to chatter, and then there's a time for repose, silence, into which God is then able to insert his voice, which yeah. is really far more compelling than any human voice. And Brother Bell, you do retreats in special time. How important is it to get away or to have a retreat or something in order to go deeper and hear God? Well, I think it's very vital for everybody that they need, Jesus said, come apart and rest a while. Not only a yearly retreat at least, yeah. but also uh, a weekly holy hour yeah. at least, preferably a daily holy hour. I know you make one, you all make one, that in that holy hour, not only do we get quiet, but we allow God to speak to us, not only in the silence of our own heart, but by the inspirations that he's now putting into our mind, yeah. that he speaks in the silence of our heart. That in Psalm 37 it said, trust in the Lord and he will bring you into the promised land Delight in him, and he will reveal to you and give you the deepest desires of your heart. Yeah. Because the average person doesn't really know what they want. They say, well, I want you know, a good family. I want a good job. I want to thank God. Said, Those are all secondary. Every one of them is secondary. Right. What you really want is a deep union with me. You want a loving family. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to be sensitive and caring and kind. Those are the things that are really important. Those are the, the supernatural values, the real spiritual values, that in themselves are far more important than any material thing. Right. Well, the, the pedagogy, I, I think, that the church needs more than ever now to impart uh, to modern man, postmodern man, is the recognition that he is made for God. Uh, we've yeah. lost that sense of, of God, of his otherness, his sacredness, his transcendence. I mean, the paradox that here I am, finite, I'm limited, I'm contingent, and yet I have these infinite desires. Nothing human will fill them. Only God. Yeah. Well, I need to know that. And, and so I'm, I'm urged to talk to God, listen to God, and in a kind of companionable silence, 
that awareness, I think, uh, fills my heart. So what's in Lent time, you know, what's the special grace? What's the special thing that, that we're called to do in Lent that will enable us to get there? Or well, I mean, a, a great Italian poet once said, nothing is more beautiful than to begin. And Lent is a beginning. Uh, uh -huh. It's a preparation. You, you dispose your mind and your heart to receive God. You go into a desert. I mean, that's a beginning, a fresh departure. I'm going to practice a little penitence. I'm going to try to master my appetites. And, and Jesus showed me the way, not because he needed self-mastery. He's the perfection of, of the self. Yeah, he doesn't need penance. He doesn't need reparation. But he spent 40 days yes. in that desert, and he kept quiet. John Paul, <laughs> uh, no, John the 23rd, years ago when his first ordained, uh, I listened to a homily he gave at the beginning of Lent, and he said in Italian, Senza la disciplina non c'è l'uomo, senza il mortificazione non c'è il cristiano. Without discipline, we do not have a human being. Without mortification, we don't have a Christian. Wow. And those words have very much said that this is a special time of extra discipline that many cats said, okay, now during Lent, I'm going to go to Mass every day. Yeah. I'm going to make that holy hour. I'm going to make that retreat. I'm going to take time every day to study the Word. I'm going to make time every day to work on my predominant fault. I'm going to ask my spiritual director, well, what is my predominant fault? Yeah. Uh, I'm, or, this is a special time yeah. of discipline yeah. that one of the things we encourage the people to do is just take an eight and a half by 11 paper and schedule in all the hours and prayerfully say, I'm going to put in quality time for God, quality time for my wife and children, quality time for uh, you know, for my work, and then I'm going to look at all the extra hours. And once I discipline myself to look yeah. at that, because we waste, the average American wastes a lot of time. Yeah. If you go to the average mall and just watch, well, what are people setting their hearts upon? Most of it is frivolous. Right, right. You say, what, what are our newspapers? What is that media talking about? Most of it is secondary frivolous. And the length of time to step back and say, well, what is really important to me? I'm just going to ask God to reveal what do I really want? And God's going to tell us what you really want is a life in union with me. Yeah. You want a more loving, sensitive, caring home. You want uh, a, a parish that's fully alive. Those are the things we really want. Right. Yeah. Yet we want it's God. Saying that. And, and God delights uh, in giving us what we want. Yeah. But sometimes we don't know what we want. Yeah. So exactly. we go to the mall. Yeah, I think, I think Lent is providentially timed by God because baseball's been over for six months. <laughs> Football has now ended. And so those athletes are off season, but this is the time for us to become spiritual athletes. This is our season. This is training time. This is where we really enter into the game because living the Catholic life half-heartedly is joyless. And Lent is the time where we begin to live it wholeheartedly and discover joy. You know, St. Benedict in his rule only speaks of joy once, and it's in direct connection to Lent. The last place you'd expect to find it, but really the first place God meets us. Yeah. Okay, well, you've got the charge for Lent. When we come back, we're just going to give you some takeaway thoughts that'll help you plunge into Lent deeply and have that new level of growth and experience with your God. Stay with us. Every day I meditate upon the passion and death of Jesus Christ, especially during Lent, because it's the central piece of our faith and it helps me to deal with my own suffering, my own crosses in my daily life.
there are two types of prayer for me that are very important. Uh, one would be the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, um, and the second one would be uh, the Most Holy Rosary, uh, because if you're going to get to the Son, you have to go through His Mother. Prayer's a part of my life because it gives meaning to everything that I do during the day. I mean, um, there's so many activities here, and a lot of it is centered on prayer, and I think that's one of the things that I love about this university is it, it brings the prayer life into the aspects of every day. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, but you can experience a greater fullness of this message. Our conferences zero right in on strong catechetics that teach you to deepen your faith and to be equipped to go out into the marketplace and stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Franciscan University Summer Conferences, 800-437-8368, franciscanconferences.com. come to the last segment here on our subject prayer and spiritual growth especially in the Lenten season and we come to the takeaway thoughts and things that can help us be faithful to the message that we've been proclaiming at this program. So Regis. Well I, I should think uh, maybe a synthesis of uh, what it is you three uh, have said. It, it would constitute uh, a wonderful anthology of spiritual insight. Listening to you, I feel as if I'm inside uh, a cornucopia, a cafeteria where every dish is delicious and I want to stuff myself with everything. But I, I, I do uh, have a couple of uh, uh, thoughts. Uh, Augustine's uh, famous passage from the Confessions, our hearts are restless, O oh God, ah. until they find rest yeah. in thee. That's the human condition. That's the defining feature of man. Poor, broken, finite, but possessed by infinite uh, hunger, immortal longings. Nothing less than God will fill up this hollow space. And then the passage from uh, the psalmist, I think it's Psalm 8, uh, uh, what is man that thou art so mindful of him? And it's curious, if man is poor, a child of poverty, then that must be the element in man that most endears him to God because he doesn't have anything. And that allows God to give him everything. Now, there's a beautiful line from the Elizabethan poet, George Herbert, uh, love bade me welcome, but my heart drew back, guilty of oh. dust yeah. and sin. But love is not daunted by that. Yeah. He moves right in. And it's interesting, dust and sin, the fact that I'm a creature and the fact that at the center of this creatureliness, I'm a sinner, corrupt. I mean, that disqualifies us from the divine life. And yet God sort of overcompensates us by entering into that brokenness and making everything whole. He's disfigured on the cross so that we might be transfigured in our brokenness. Now, that's pretty breath-catching. Oh, so you're never too broken never. for God. To and if you weren't us, broken, then there wouldn't be anything yeah. for God to do to make you whole. Okay. He wouldn't be able to restore you. You'd All be right. God. Mm. Okay, Scott, that's what good. would you... I want to pick up where you just left off, Regis, because I think we do feel unlovely, and we, 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 we wrongly conclude that we are unlovable. You know, I am not worthy, Lord, but that doesn't mean we're worthless. 
you know, our goodness is not the cause of God's love, St. Thomas says. God's love is the cause of our goodness and our existence. And God's love is the, ana the only antidote to this illness that we, we have in egoism. So Lent is the time where we allow the divine surgeon to begin those operations within our heart. And I think, you know, we, we, we need to look to the basics, reading the Bible, praying the rosary, spending time in prayer, in silence, uh, but also spending time before the Blessed Sacrament. Yes. And if we go to weekly Mass, maybe two or three times you know, a week instead, yeah. or maybe daily if you can. But I think there's also a sense in which we have to fall back in love with our Lord and find those places in our past where He has met us. You know, I think of my relationship with my wife. You know, we've been married now for over three decades. And there are certain songs, there are certain movies, there are certain places where we saw a sunset together, where we first held a hand, our hands, and where we saw this waterfall and we knew we were, we were going to end up being married. And I think there are places in our life where we have encountered God. And you know, moving forward is a good thing, but looking backward too, mm. and finding that book or listening to that song that stirred our hearts. And the last thing I would say is make a retreat. You know, at our Father's house or wherever you can find a place where you will have silence, but you also hear the voice of God and celebrate the sacraments in a way that is just reliable, sound, and, and spiritually healthy. I think a retreat, even if you can't do it this Lent, make the resolution now to do it this year. And I think that could be a turning point. It's an oasis in the desert of an overly busy life. Okay, that's, that's a power one. Okay, Bill, great to see. have you, and you, of course, run the retreats and the rest of it. Come to my father's house. Come yeah. to Steubenville. And I think summing up Lent is something that you said, Scott. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Uh. I think that sums it up for me. But Tertullian said, all of this is summed up in the Our Father. And I've written a book on the Our Father. We've talked much about this, but there are five principles. There's seven petitions, but there's five principles. Yeah. The first is praise and worship. We have to thank, live lives of gratitude and praise and worship, especially in and through the sacrifice of the man. In the New Catechism, in the section on the liturgy, it paints this picture right out of the book of Revelation. On the throne room is God the Father, Jesus the Lamb slain, the standing, Mary, all the worshiping angels are all up around saying, holy, 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 it says, it, it, it is into this celestial liturgy of worship and praise that we enter whenever we praise God, especially into the sacrifice of the man. So live lives of praise, thanking God, praising God whenever you can. Secondly, seek his plan. That God has a plan for us through the church. Thank God for the church. But also reveals it in a specific way as we sit quietly and listen. To seek his, say, speak, Lord, you serve and listen. What is it that you want me to do today? What is with what is that which you want me to do as a father, as a mother, as a farmer? What is, it, what is your will? Then the secret provision that God gives us our daily bread. We have to live by faith, not trusting money more than God. God provides for us, especially the Eucharistic meal, which is a super essential gift, the Eucharist. We have to live our lives drawing light from the Eucharist. Then the secret purification, live lives of love and mercy. Forgive that person, Sergio. Be merciful, forgive, but realize that God forgives you. That as you come before and say, Lord, I'm sorry, that he forgives you. That as far as the east and from the west, does he put our sins from us. That's awesome. That every time you go to confession, you experience three miracles. First, every bit of sin and guilt is washed clean. We're the only ones can be sure that that happened. All bitterness, hatred, we, we let go. But then we're given the awesome power to forgive ourselves. 
and then finally to realize that God delivers us from evil. He strengthens us in our temptation, but he also literally protects us from a lot of evil. If we really don't drink too much, we're gonna, not going to have cirrhosis of the liver, etc. There's a lot of evil that he delivers us simply by living his life. So those five principles, praise, seek his plan, seek his provision, seek his purification, seek his protection, they're all summed up in the Our Father. So when you say the Our Father, that kind of sums up for me the whole of the Christian life, as Tertullian said. Well, thank you, Father Bill, for all your wisdom. And he has books, the Holy Spirit, in the writings of John Paul II, Mary in the Church Today, Personal Relationship with Jesus. Oh, there's so many books uh, that can give you the, the wisdom you need to grow deeper and deeper in prayer and uh, make the retreat as he uh, just very strongly urged us. And we have handouts that we'll send to you just for the asking. Discernment. How do I know if this is of God? <laughs> we can all use that. Listening to the Father. How, how to really listen. And what are the principles behind the listening? Pray like this. And that's great. The praise, the plan of God, the provision, personal relationships, power and protection. So we'll send you these just for the asking. Just contact us and uh, stay in contact with us here at Franciscan University. Come to conferences or come for studies, whatever. Uh, we want to be part of God's provision and plan for you. Till next time, may the Lord bless and keep you, show his face and have mercy on you, turn his countenance to you and give you his peace. Lord bless you, Father, Son, and Spirit. To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357. Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu or write to Franciscan University Presents Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio, 43952.